Welcome to Back to the Basics with Pastor Jason McClendon. This program is sponsored by Crossroads Christian Fellowship, a non-denominational, conservative, and evangelical church focusing on returning to the mindset of believers in the New Testament church. The acronym BASICS, in the name of the program, stands for Believing and Sharing in Christ's Salvation. We are disciples making disciples who make disciples. And now, here is the message. Welcome to Crossroads Christian Fellowship once again. Today the sermon is about the baptism of Jesus. And last week we spoke about John the Baptist and how... Uh, he came to be and some of the things he did and some of the things he said. And now we're going to talk about the actual baptism of Jesus as well. And we'll also talk about in that what baptism means. The readings today are from Matthew chapter 3 verses 13 to 17 and then also Mark 1, 9 to 11 and Luke 3, 21 to 22. Matthew 3, 13 to 17 says... Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Mark chapter 1, verses 9-11 through 11 shortens it just a little bit. He says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. And then very similarly, but slightly different. And I'll talk about those differences in a moment. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 to 22 said, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. These are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week we talked about Jesus sitting in the temple in Jerusalem with the teachers of the law, or at least a, a couple weeks ago we did. And this was when he was 12 years old. And the, the event prior to that that we know about Jesus' life is when his family went down to Egypt and then returned and came back to Nazareth. But the last major event, once again, was sitting in the temple. He was 12 years old. And at this time, when he's baptized... He's about 30 years old. So there's a pretty long space in between there. We don't really know what happened during that time. But the first thing to notice during these narratives is that Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus traveled all the way from Nazareth to the Jordan River, where John was baptizing people in order to start his ministry. Now, we don't know exactly 
where his baptism took place because it doesn't say so. It doesn't exactly specify in the Bible. However, we do have a pretty good idea. And most scholars believe that he was actually baptized at a place that is called Alamogtus. And this is also known as Bethany beyond the Jordan. This is near the city of Jericho, and it is about 70, I'm sorry, 87 miles from Nazareth. And so this would have uh, taken about five to seven days to walk that far. Now, this is a place that has been a pilgrimage site for Christians since the early 4th century, sometime in the early 300s. And it is believed, again, that this is the actual baptism site for Jesus, so much that this has actually been named as a UNESCO heritage site, a world heritage site. And people flock from all around the world to go visit this place. And as a side note, this is also the same place where it is believed that Elijah ascended to heaven. And you could read that uh, story in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 11. Now I think this, this, this baptism, I think this is where it really all began. Now I know a lot of people think that Jesus' ministry really started at the wedding at Cana when he performed his first miracle. But I think this, his baptism, I think this was the start of his ministry. This is where it was first publicly made known who Jesus was. Now, yes, there were some people who already knew. His family already knew. Some close friends already knew. And, of course, those who were involved in the nativity story, the shepherds. And, and uh, then we've got when he went to the temple as an infant with Simeon and Anna. But very few other people knew who he was. But at this baptism, it was made clear. Now, as the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, John probably knew the story. But that doesn't mean that he necessarily believed that his cousin, whom he'd probably seen and played with quite a bit as they were growing up, was actually the Messiah. John was out baptizing all these people in Jordan because this is what he said God had told him to do. Now, how God told him that and why God told him that, we don't know. But we do know that shortly thereafter, John clearly said that the one who sent me to baptize with water, he was speaking about God. And this happened the day after the Pharisees had come down to watch John baptizing, which we talked about last week, where they came down to spy on him, so to speak. This is what John chapter 1 Verses 29 to 24 says. 29 to 34, actually, says. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John gave this testimony. 
I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now one thing to note, to go back, he says, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Now we know that Jesus was actually born about six months after John. But the Messiah is part of the Trinity. And as the Son in the Holy Trinity, Jesus was always before everyone. And John makes it clear, he was actually before me. Even though I was born before him, he was before me. Now notice that John also said, I myself did not know him, which tells me that he probably didn't fully believe he was the Messiah. But somehow now, by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus comes down, John recognizes him for who he was when he came to be baptized. And that's when he said, I, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. But then, of course, he was completely convinced when he heard the voice from heaven. Now, if you remember, the purpose of John's ministry was specifically to prepare the way for the Messiah. Now, he might have been told it was Jesus before and then just kind of disregarded that. That was his cousin he grew up with. And then once he realized he was wrong, as Jesus stepped forward to be baptized, he was probably just a little bit confused and he said, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? And Jesus told him that this baptism needed to take place in order to fulfill all righteousness. <clears throat> now, some people may wonder why Jesus needed to be baptized at all. Jesus was not a sinner. So there certainly was no repentance involved, at least not on the part of Jesus. But here's an interesting thought. What did John say the next day? when he saw Jesus approaching after the baptism. He cried out, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now John was from the priestly class, as Luke points out that both of his parents were from the tribe of Levi and from the lineage of Aaron. And his father, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple. And what did these priests do? They made sacrifices on behalf of the people. But at this time, very few people, if anyone, really knew what it meant to call Jesus the Lamb. And when Jesus then told him, it is proper for us to do this, he was acknowledging his approval of what John was doing and how John was doing it. And Jesus was also demonstrating that although he himself was not a sinner, he was identifying himself with the sinners as he would be the one representing these sinners as the ultimate sacrifice. He was the sacrificial lamb, so to speak. And the fact that John was the one presenting him to the world was powerful. 
John was not only powerful in his own right and already considered to be a great spiritual leader. Remember, people were coming from all around the country to see him, to hear what he had to say, and to be baptized by him. Tradesmen, tax collectors, soldiers, even religious leaders from the Sanhedrin came to see John. And many of them came to get baptized. And when John humbled himself in front of everyone and said that he was not worthy to even untie the sandals of the one who would come after him, the Messiah, which we talked about last week. And then probably a large number of people were there and he told Jesus that he, John, needed to be baptized by Jesus instead. I can only imagine these people witnessing this event and what they must have thought. Clearly, Jesus was somebody important. And then the voice from heaven and the Holy Spirit descending bodily like a dove. What a way to make an entrance into the beginning of his ministry. The word baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo, and it means to immerse or to submerge. Now I wanna bring up two points about baptism here. The first one is that the proper biblical baptism is described as being immersed or submerged into and under the water. It is not a sprinkling of water on someone's head. But even more importantly, baptism is merely symbolic. Jesus didn't have to be baptized for the remission of his sins because he had none. Baptism does not literally wash away your sins. It is symbolic of this. What baptism does is it identifies the person being baptized with the community. In the case of Jesus, with the community of sinners. He was not himself a sinner, but in order to properly represent these sinners, he had to be able to identify with the sinners, and he did this through the baptism. Now, some of you have probably heard me say in the past that I consider baptism, the ceremony itself, to be similar to a marriage ceremony, a wedding. When you get married, what you were doing is you were publicly announcing your relationship to the person with whom you were marrying, and you were making a commitment to that person to be faithful to them for the rest of your life, and you become one with that person. Baptism, the ceremony of baptism, is similar in its purpose, in that it is to publicly announce joining together with the community of believers and making that faith commitment with that community of believers and with God. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. It is a public profession of a personal commitment to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But baptism is also representative of having one's sins washed away but it doesn't actually wash any sins away. 1 Peter 3.21 
describing baptism says, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. <clears throat> baptism is also representative of having died to sin and being buried and then being reborn as a new person. Someone who is washed clean from sin, representative of that. This burying is symbolized by going under the water and then our raising to a new life is coming up out of the water. We were baptized into the death of Christ and raised to a new life. Romans 6, 3 through 6 says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God, the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin could be done away with that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So as we are baptized, we are buried in the water and then we are raised a new person. When we come up out of the water, that's what it symbolizes. It represents becoming a totally new person with a new attitude towards following Jesus and using him as our role model to strive to become like him, perfect and righteous and holy. Romans chapter 4, 22 to 24 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And 2 Corinthians 5, 15 to 17 says, and he died for all that those whose lives should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. We have to remember that we are commanded to get baptized, but baptism does not save us. It is a matter of obedience, not a matter of salvation. In Christianity today, there are two main types of baptism. One is called credo-baptism, and the other one is called pedo-baptism. The difference is that in credo-baptism, which is also known as believer's baptism, the person being baptized has made a personal profession of faith, repented of their sins, and trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior. In paedo-baptism, which is also called infant baptism, the person being baptized has had, has had someone else make a profession of faith on their behalf. But the person being baptized has no concept of what's going on, and therefore, biblically, 
cannot truly join the church. Now, at Crossroads Christian Fellowship, we practice credo baptism, the believer's baptism, as we believe that an individual must make a personal choice in order to trust in Christ. It cannot be done for them. We do have a ceremony that we can provide called an infant dedication, which may be similar to baptism, but it is the parents and the guardians, the family, basically promising to raise the child with biblical teachings. It is not making a profession of faith on behalf of the child because we can't do that. And although we practice credo baptism, which is the biblically correct baptism and very important, the method of baptism itself is not as important. In this church, we do practice baptism by immersion, which again, from the scripture I just read, I think makes it very clear that this is the biblically correct way. In particular phrases such as, he came up out of the water. But since baptism is not a matter of salvation, it is a matter of obedience, we cannot be dogmatic about that. And if we said that first baptism is required for salvation, that would make it a work. We're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. And if we were dogmatic about the specific method, immersion, or sprinkling, then we're also making it a work. So we have to remember that the ceremony of baptism is a representation of having been washed clean of your sins. But the act in itself does not save anyone. The last part of the reading says that after Jesus came up out of the water, says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice from heaven came and said, you are my son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Now, this is the first time that we clearly see the Holy Trinity all together. Now, when we really dig in and we study Genesis and the creation story with everything in context, we can see the Trinity there. We can see the Trinity at work, such as in Genesis 1, 1 to 2, which says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you have the Spirit there, and you have God the Father speaking. Later on, in John 1, 1 to 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So this is the description of the Trinity. As in, the Father is speaking, the Son is acting and creating, and the Spirit is hovering, present over everything. But, admittedly, you do have to make sure you're putting it in context, and you have to search for that to clearly understand it. In the baptism of Jesus, it is so much more clear. Jesus is standing there physically, incarnate, in the flesh, and the Father's voice is heard, and the Holy Spirit descends on him bodily like a dove. All three are present there to be witnessed by everyone. And the words that were heard here are exactly what we as believers want to hear as well. 
Remember, if you are a believer, you are adopted as a child of God. We are all created by God, but we become God's children when we accept Christ. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8.15 says, The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. And Galatians 4, 4 to 6 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. So when the voice from heaven proclaimed, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased, we want to hear the same thing. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, from the parable of the faithful servant in Matthew chapter 25. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 4 through, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, it says, this is Paul speaking. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. We want to live as the new person who has died to sin and now seeks the holiness and the righteousness, totally surrendering our will to God's will. We want to be that faithful servant, the adopted child of God, who fights the good fight, finishes the race, and keeps the faith. That's who we are called to be. Will you answer that call? Let's pray. Father, you have called us to do certain things, to live a certain way, and most importantly, to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We ask that you give us the wisdom that we need to be able to understand the message that you've given us. We ask for the strength to follow your will as you share it with us. We ask that you Open up our eyes so that we can see what it is you want us to do and how you want us to do it. So that at the end of our time, we also will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. All this we ask in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, running a ministry is not free. There are many costs associated with developing and running programs, and we humbly ask for your support, especially if our messages have touched your heart or you believe they will touch the hearts of other people. We ask that you first pray about how God wants you to proceed, and then, if you feel led, help us focus on building the kingdom of God. If you are a Christian and you are not tithing anywhere, please consider tithing to us or consider gifting to us 
however God leads. Remember, the money you have is God's money that He blessed you with to manage and to be a good steward. The money you tithe and gift to us builds the ministry of Crossroads Christian Fellowship and the International College for Christian Studies. The more financial support we receive, the more people we can reach. You can make this monthly contribution or one-time gift through PayPal by going to donationforchurch.com. You can also find other ways to donate on that webpage. Thank you in advance for your support and may God bless you. Friends, I sincerely hope that you are already a follower of Jesus. But if you are not, you need to know that the Bible makes it absolutely clear that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. We are all sinners and we all need Jesus. None of us can do it on our own. When we die, we will either go to heaven or to hell. But the ability to spend eternity in heaven is a free gift from God. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Because he loved us so much, Jesus paid the penalty of death for our sins. He paid the price with his own blood, which means that we don't have to. That gift is free, and to receive it, all you have to do is recognize that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Confess your sins to God, repent of your sins, in other words, you have to turn away from them, and turn your life over to Jesus, asking Him and allowing Him to be the Lord of your life. Remember, just because you repent and make Jesus your Lord does not mean you will instantly become perfect. But you do need to strive to model your life after Jesus. There are no magic formulas or special prayers to become a Christian. Just make it known to God. Just tell Him. He knows what's in your heart. Now, if you've made the decision to dedicate your life to Christ, which is often referred to as being born again, or if you've made the decision to rededicate your life to Christ, please let us know. Go to IamSavedByJesus.com and tell us about your decision. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to know if we can help you along the way. If you haven't made that decision yet, please pray about it, and we'll pray for you too if you let us know. This is the most important decision you can ever make in your entire life. It only takes a few seconds to decide, but the ramifications of your choice are literally eternal. Take it seriously. Remember, go to IamSavedByJesus.com, and we look forward to hearing from you. God bless. Well, it's almost time to go. Thank you for sharing this time with us. We are praying regularly for you and ask that you do the same for us. Until we come together again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. Go now into the world and serve the Lord. Amen.